This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to The Soul's Journey with Tom Jacobs. A fresh look at astrology shaped by channeled wisdom on the soul and its human journey. Enjoy inspirational insights on how to change karma and make changes for the better. And now, here's Tom. Hey everybody, welcome to The Soul's Journey. This is your pal Tom Jacobs from tdjacobs.com. I'm an evolutionary astrologer and channel, and also now it's official. It's been official for a while, but also an energy worker, kind of adding that in there so people can uh, be aware of that. Uh, currently located uh, on the planet in Tucson, Arizona, looking out my window. Uh, it's a little little dusky, but it's looking out of the Santa Catalina Mountains to the north, which are, which are beautiful. And um, tonight's show, If You Were Born Today, it's actually as in If You Were Born Four Minutes Ago, as of me speaking this. So 7 p.m., uh, now five minutes here in Tucson. Um, and the idea is that to look at a chart, uh, different applications for this. One is, you know, imagine a baby born at that minute. Here's the karmic story. Now, to, in one way, we don't, we, we don't want to pin down kids. Like, we don't want to pin them down. They haven't, you know, we don't want to pigeonhole them. We don't want to put them in a box. But the way that I do this multi-life journey can be done, you know, is you know it can be started when you know as soon as the doctor slaps the bottom like it's it doesn't have to pigeonhole anything and can happen immediately as soon as you know a birth time and the reason is because the way that I do these readings I, I do this with you as an adult but I also do this when reading kids charts for parents um, looking at what this soul is attempting to accomplish through this human life so setting up the themes explaining you know the thematic elements that occur in a bunch of lives and what for this little tiny one in the case of a reading for a kid will unfold during this life and so when I do readings for kids like like I know that some people get nervous because you don't want to tell the parents anything, you know, that might you know seem predetermined or destined or whatever. Because of course, you want you know you want the best for your kids. You 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 know we all want to we all want to you know think that they're going to do better than we do. You know this, this whole thing, and um, so we don't want to say anything negative. But the way I do these these readings isn't like that. So that's one purpose is to share with you how I do readings for young people. And how I look at the themes that are present in many lives that will come to this person during life. And then I offer a lot of different constructive insights into how to deal with that. So there's a very abstract way of doing it. And then there's also a practical way of doing it, like making some of that abstract stuff practical in terms of, well, what will he or she be doing at a year and a half or two or three years old? What about, you know, beginning to socialize, being that young with other kids? You know, what will school be like when that starts in a few years? Like, like there are also very practical ways to look at that. And I, and I love doing that for parents to give them an idea of how the personality, meaning, um, how the personality may come out given the contours, the conditioning and shaping of the emotional body over the course of many lives. And when I do these readings for people, it's really, um, it's really fascinating because they'll, you know, have a, a 10 month old and they'll already start to see those contours of personality. You know, they'll already start to see that look in the kid's eyes and the way the kid reaches out for attention is in the chart. So, so, so that's one level of doing this. Another level is to put your attention on the reality that 
the zodiac is an always moving clock. So, you know, if you're into astrology or you practice astrology, you know, you take a class, you teach a class, you do a reading for somebody or you study your own chart, you know, there's that, there's that time that you're giving to that. And then you go, um, you know, somewhere and do something else. You go to a job, you, you know, spend time with your family, you go on a bike ride, whatever it is, like you play golf, whatever it is. And the clock is still ticking. So the second purpose of doing this kind of show uh, is that is to give you this idea of this present moment also indicates a perfect entry point for a number of souls to come in to experience that. And I want you to think of the the time that we're living through, like the times of our you know the day to day, as entry points. Now, when you think about it, you'll say, well, obviously, I mean, people were being born all the time, and there was a day not unlike today that I was born years ago. And, you know, that's very obvious, but I want you to realize that in this moment, this is a perfect entry point for someone to come in. So, for example, um, Uranus Pluto squares. It's one example in this chart. You know, it's a long-term thing. Lots of, all the kids born now have this, uh, meaning we are living through those times. But also, um, the, Uranus quincunx to Saturn, Saturn conjunct Mars and Scorpio, and there's square Venus and Leo, and Jupiter is going to edge up to square Saturn soon. So anyway, so these kinds of setups too. So we're living through these. We're writing and reading articles about them. We're getting readings and consultations to try to understand, you know, what the expletive is happening in our lives and hearts and relationships and jobs and homes, whatever. But these are perfect entry points for souls to come in to experience that. So I also, the second thing is I want to put your attention on that, thinking about the time, thinking about that so that when you, when somebody says, oh yeah, so-and-so just had a baby, you'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, Pluto, you know, retro, Pluto, retro, Uranus, square, Capricorn, Aries, right, yeah. You know, you can have a, a kind of context for that. And also realizing that Uranus is conjunct the transiting south node and Pluto is square, the nodes. There's another layer of meaning in there. We're living through that. But little people are being imprinted with that and will have this as their, their whole life signature, their, their root signature of the birth chart. So that's the second thing. The third reason to do this is because I love it. I love improvising on a chart of right now and telling a karmic story. And so that's kind of the third reason. So before I, before I get into this and give you the data, I want to do a couple announcements. I want to do a little bit of a brief recap of uh, today was day 27. It's August 27th of the daily energy work in August. And I, I don't – like over the course of the whole hour here, I don't have enough time, even if I filled the whole show with it, what I've learned <laughs> about myself and the way that I interface with Archangel Metatron and Ascended Master Jehudi, also known as Thoth and uh, Merlin and Saint Germain. I, uh, you know, what I've learned about my own emotions, my reactions, how my body works, and how it tells me things when things aren't going well, which everybody's body does. Uh, you know, I don't, I, I can't, you know, I could fill a couple of shows just talking about that. So, uh, but I do want to give a little bit of a recap. Uh, as I said, today was day twenty-seven, and uh, one thing I've learned is that. 31 days is too much. Like I'm having all these weird little things with my body where my voice feels like it's about to go, but it isn't. Or, you know, when I start to do something mental, like even before the show tonight, I started to get feverish and a headache, uh, a headache. And I know I'm not sick. I know it's my body saying, you have been working really super hard and now you're going to go do a radio show. Um, and, and so I know that. So 
September I'm taking off from this particular thing. I'm still available to do readings, and I'll talk a little about that in the second uh, announcement here. Um, and there are going to be some events happening, but uh, in October when we do this daily thing again, it's going to be for 22 days. And it was about day 24 where I realized that my body was getting tired. And I'm, I mean, I'm, it's interesting. I'm not physically tired, but my body's saying to be in that space every day, the way that you are, is going to catch up with you. So that's why I'm not going to do anything in September with it. And uh, so anyway, so we're going to do it in October. Details are on the way, probably announced on the 1st. Um, and you can check out uh, all the social media, Twitter, Facebook, and my blog to get announcement, the, the specific announcement. But it's going to be 22 days. This time there will be the option of getting the MP3s. So – um, you know, anybody anywhere who can't make that 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern time can get the MP3s on a daily basis, meaning when I hang up on the call, I will edit the MP3 and upload it to a place where you will be notified if you've signed up. So I'm really excited about that. That's going to reach more people. It's going to be more efficient for me to do it. And uh, and if you can't make those calls or if you hear this months later, you can get those MP3s. Those 22 MP3s will be available as a set to use on a daily basis. So I'm really excited about that. And I'm still hearing great things from people doing the calls on a daily basis. And I'm just very excited about it. And I really want uh, to make sure that you have the opportunity to do it. I didn't make the recordings from this time, uh, this round available because the whole thing was an experiment. And that was one of maybe – five or six variables. I wanted to see how I functioned and how I experienced it and what happened. And so now I'm very clear that's an important component. And uh, there were some people I told, you know, I kind of turned away a little bit. And uh, I don't feel bad about that because I just needed to focus on doing it and not on the tech and the delivery of MP3s and editing the audio files and kind of dealing with all that. It was better for me not to. But that will be in October. Um, And there's also an early bird uh, lowering of the price or discount if you do if you sign up by September 20th, FYI. So keep that in mind. And check for the announcement on September 1st. I'm really excited about this. So that's the first announcement. The second announcement is, I, you know, as I mentioned, I'm in, in uh, Tucson looking out my window. Now it's almost completely dark, but um, looking out the Santa Catalina Mountains. What I, one of the things I've realized through doing this work every day and clearing things out of my space and also through um, the process I've gone through with my intuitive skills development class, which is ongoing, um, we've had seven out of the ten weeks of classes. I haven't talked about it much uh, because I've just been focused on it when I'm with them you know, and then doing my homework during the week. But I go through the process – as the students do. So you go through this whole process of learning to read your chakras, and I already know how to do that, but I'm hearing more subtle layers and things coming up. So I'm going through the process too. When I realized um, from the fourth chakra week, I felt something was weird, and then the, that was just a heart center. Then the fifth chakra week, the next one, I became aware of the fourth chakra issue. And then when we got to the sixth chakra, the, the, you know, the one above that, the forehead, the third eye, I became aware that in my head, my sixth chakra vision of what my world looks like, it isn't um, endless sand with big mountains of rock sticking out of it. And I realize I'm missing green. So the other announcement is that I'm going to spend um, a little over two weeks in Portland, Oregon uh, from the 6th 
to the 22nd in uh, September. I just uh, booked the flight and places to stay today, so that's all set. I'll be doing some events, definitely one in uh, Vancouver, Washington, just over the state line, and then perhaps one or two uh, in Portland itself. Kind of, it's a very last minute trip, so you know, organization is. Uh, you know, just kind of reaching out to people, and uh, I have a number of astrologer friend contacts, and uh, just kind of waiting to hear some things and see what we might be able to get together. Um, but I'm excited about that. It's basically uh, exploring the green space, biking, relaxing, vacation for me. But I'm also eager to do uh, readings if you if you're in Portland or in that area and want to come see me and get a reading in person or do energy work. I would love to do that for you. Uh, so keep that in mind. You can. Uh, Keep in touch with me through email or my phone number, which is all over my website. So that's the other announcement. So I'm, I'm really, uh, um, I'm really excited. I'm really excited. In my sixth chakra, like the image of what my surroundings look like, it is lush and green. There are more trees than I can count. The grass is wet because it actually rains. Where there's a river. There's water in it, this novel concept. That's where I keep getting stuck when I think about going there. Oh, my God, their river has water in it. Because I actually live right outside this river, the Ruyito River here in Tucson, and uh, it's it's a wash for when it floods. Like there's Anyway, so I'm just realizing the effect of water and green, and I realized that I have this, this heart connection with Oregon. So I'm going to go do that for a couple of weeks. And uh, if you're up there, uh, let me know. Uh, be in contact. Uh, call me. We'll have tea. We'll go, we'll go out for a hike or a bike ride or something. Uh, so those are um, those are my my announcements. Uh, just very excited about the energy work and and uh, and it's real. I mean that process has been opening me up to see this issue that I really kind of need more green. And I also realized um, uh, that when I lived in. Well, just kind of a quick history. I think I've talked about this in early shows, but we're almost two years into the show, so I'll just give you this thing in case you haven't heard this. Um, I grew up in Ohio, which is green, <laughs> and where there's a body of water, there's water in it. And, you know, it's crazy now. I feel like – anyway, so I grew up there, and then I lived in uh, Boston for six years, and that is also green. And Boston is my Uranus ascendant line. So I moved to Boston, like relocated stuff. Uh, relocation astrology. Some people call it with a trademark. They'll call it astrocartography. I call it locational astrology. And um, so Uranus ascendant line, and that you know I was doing Uranian things there, and I was really kind of embracing that energy within me. And then I moved to Los Angeles, which took me into Moon Mercury IC line, which is very internal. So my Moon Mercury conjunction in Sagittarius moved from the cusp of the third house right down to the IC to the cusp of the fourth. And uh, internal work, and uh, and it was really you know going through the dregs of my history and what made me tick, and all this family history and all this different stuff, and what you know what's in my emotional foundation, and I became aware of a lot of past life past life issues, and you know, a lot of connections with people that helped me unearth things in various ways, and uh, but it was exhausting to be frank with you, and so at the end of that process. I wanted to write. I had uh, the ideas of like about four or five books in my head. And um, so I asked my guides, where can I go to write? I need to move somewhere else. And they said, why don't you go to Tucson? So I moved here. This is my Saturn Vesta in Gemini Midheaven line. So what am I doing? I you know, wrote or channeled 15 books plus a couple ebooks, self-published them, it, all that in like a three-and-a-half-year period, um, started this radio show, you know, it's just like now this kind of, you know, 
I don't know where you are, but you're hearing my voice and it's like across space time because I live in Tucson. I'm broadcasting this Gemini Midheaven thing. Saturn is on it. So anyway, so, so that's been happening now from just five years and in, in a couple weeks, I'm five years in Tucson and I realized that this Midheaven thing, I uh, can't continue it forever. So I'm going to go hang out in Portland, and I'm also going to find other green places to go hang out <laughs> in different different places and uh, around the country and perhaps elsewhere. And uh, but 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 Portland for me is Neptune IC line, and that's the only place where I have ever felt like the Earth actually talking to me, which is kind of a crazy intense thing. You can see the post I put on Facebook yesterday; it was kind of really emotional. Um, it's evolutionary astrology and channeling with Tom Jacobs. You can go check that out. And I, I just kind of talk about the experience I had in Portland the first time I was there, and I believe 2010, May of 2010. So I'm going to take the first break right now, and then we're going to come back and look at the chart of imaginary baby A. Uh, and uh, this is Tom Jacobs on the Soul's Journey. Stick with me. I will be right back. Positive thoughts, tried to forgive yourself and others for everything, and read piles of self-help books and still feel stuck? Call evolutionary astrologer and channel Tom Jacobs. Consultations with Tom reveal the core of what hurts you and holds you back. Tom changes clients' lives with a personalized blend of evolutionary astrology, messages from spirit guides, Channeling and energy work with Ascended Master Jehudi and Archangel Metatron, chakra cleaning and rebalancing, past life integration, and teaching you to transform what you are manifesting. Tom will provide whatever you need to move through knots, blocks, or bruises. To book a life-changing session with Tom Jacobs, call 213-925-6019. Or visit tdjacobs.com. Ever wondered what your soul is? How about how to create a meaningful life to make the most of your time on Earth? In the important new channeled book, Conscious Living, Conscious Dying, Ascended Master Jehudi, a.k.a. Thoth and St. Germain, explains soul, life, and death to support you in living a meaningful life now. It opens with a description of soul and how it informs and experiences your human life. Creating a meaningful life and an in-depth exploration of death follow, making this a must-have for all humans. Conscious Living, Conscious Dying provides a roadmap for making peace with the reality of life and the fact of death to free you to make the most of your time on Earth. Get your copy of Conscious Living, Conscious Dying now on Amazon, Kindle, or at tdjacobs.com. Hey, 
Hey there. Welcome back to The Soul's Journey. Uh, this is Tom Jacobs from tdjacobs.com. Um, so let's let's get into this chart of imaginary person uh, number nine, or I don't know. Um, so the birth data, August 27th, 2014, 7 p.m. Pacific uh, in Tucson. Or just say 7 p.m. in Tucson, Arizona, USA, Earth. And, um, and I'm going to do a karmic analysis – as I do with every chart I do, as I do with sound bites, as I do with clients who come through when I'm teaching my students, uh, you know, doing tutoring for people, how I teach this. And also it's the basis of the Soul's Journey trilogy of books, which I encourage you if you are uh, catching the show for the first time or, you know, you've just jo- joined in the last few weeks or last few episodes on the podcast, um, get those books because that explains how I'm updating Oh, some some issues, some uh, some ways of understanding evolutionary astrology, which is getting more and more popular. But the ways I'm updating have to do with specific ideas about what soul is. Everybody talks about soul, but from what I've been shown from being a medium working with this, the spirits of the dead, both unprocessed and also those who have like gone into the light, so to speak, and come back as guides or helpers, uh, and also with the ascended master that I channel, uh, Jehudi, also known as Thoth and Saint Germain of Merlin. Those beings have changed how I understand soul. And so this is an update to evolutionary astrology, not just talking about soul or what people say about soul, but actually a model of life on earth that is based in an ascended master's vision of what soul is. So that's what the the Soul's Journey trilogy of books is about, and I explain everything. Anyway, so when I do this, I always start with Pluto, and I look at what the soul intends the person – Figure out how to do in a strong, confident way. I often talk about it as the empowerment journey of the soul. And what I mean by that is what the soul has you as a person trying to figure out how to become empowered through doing. It's inherent in this process, this multi-life journey, that we tie the idea of power to physical reality or material world circumstances. And when we do that, those circumstances change often. And then our ability to be self-confident changes. And so one way of looking at Pluto in a birth chart uh, is to look at what the person has tied self-confidence to in terms of material reality. And then how that person needs to become strong and confident through absolute, utter, unflinching, unashamed self-knowledge and self-awareness and all those – uh, adjectives, uh, adjectives, repeat them please in your mind. Uh, self-acceptance. That is where true Plutonian power comes from. It's not through having money or thinking that you're safe because you have a giant fence around a huge property, you know, or, you know, nobody can hurt you. Plutonian power is about true self-knowledge so that you alter your relationship with your fears. So when I look at Pluto in a chart, I'm looking at this Basically, this journey of dealing with fear over many lives. It's a, it's a thing where you can access your passion, but you have to get over fears to get there. And so you might feel like you need to do it to make life meaningful, but you may fear doing it because in a bunch of lives imprinted now on your emotional body right now are the failures, the sense of, the sense of powerlessness in certain dynamics, the sense of being overwhelmed or overpowered by others, or by circumstance, that's in your emotional body now. So in every life, you have this opportunity to 
learn how to confront the fears related to your Pluto. Now, this this uh, this little person, let's say that somebody born at 7 p.m. here in Tucson, has Pluto in the 11th house, the house of goals and the house of uh, uh, allying with others to create a desired future. Because of these things, it is about friends. It is about goals and we say hopes, wishes, and dreams. It's about networking and it's really about – uh, looking ahead at what you want the world to look like and acknowledging the fact that you can't create a world by yourself. You have to find others who have a similar vision or who want to help you with your vision and you can help them with their visions. You know, Maybe they're not exactly the same, but you can network and ally together. So Pluto's in the 11th. This is, what, this is a, a core strength when this person deals with fears about groups. And goals. And so Pluto in the 11th can be a signature of, in some lives, feeling overwhelmed by the group mind of which he or she is part. So this is where a group mind becomes a mob mentality and where people get overwhelmed by the stampeding ignorance of bright people who surrender their, their smarts. You know, think think about movements, social movements, political movements, revolutions. You know, this kind of thing in history, uh, wars that are started by you know groups of people that affect larger you know masses of people. Think about those things and how one person's voice in the middle can get lost. Wait, this is crazy. <laughs> what are we doing? And then there's a stampede because that voice of dissent. There's no room for it because of the rising passion. So that's kind of one example. Another example is the, the, the issue of simply having goals and then f- trying to find people who also have the same goals. Now, in today's culture, like like in uh, you know people on the planet alive in 2014 who have access to you know certain kinds of technology, the world is opening up for 11th house people because you can you know it's not perhaps fully satisfying, and I don't know that it's uh, completely healthy, but you can find people all over the world who have the same interests as you. And uh, that's an 11th house thing as well. But so somebody with Pluto in the 11th needs to become empowered through relating within a group context in some way. Lots of people I know with Pluto in the 11th don't like being parts of groups. They don't want to do it. They think that the reality of groups is the problem. But really, you have to find the right group to be part of. That's a key to the 11th house. People with Chiron and Pluto here, tend, and sometimes South Node, <laughs> may shy away from groups in general and think that you know whenever there are people saying, wait a minute, we kind of agree about the same thing. Let's incorporate or let's, um, let's have a club or something like that, that it's automatically poisonous and dangerous and somebody's going to get burned at a stake. Like some people really have a trigger about that and that's Pluto in the 11th past life fears, you know, other life fears. So, so Pluto in the 11th, need, this person needs to become empowered through connecting with others, but you know you don't know who those right people are until you have your own goal. So a major function here is going to be goal setting for this person and asking for help from others is another part of it. Pluto's in Capricorn, so this is about structure, discipline, authority. When this person gets over the fears, this person probably will be a asked to be in charge of something within a group because when Pluto people do Plutonian things well, people look around and say, oh my god, that's a, that person knows what he or she is doing. Let's have that person be in charge. And that Pluto in the 11th can be a signature of that, especially in Capricorn being an authority figure. Now, that said, the structures of group mind 
and the structures of somebody's involvement with a group in certain lives with this chart can indicate that the 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 runaway freight train of you know structure mandate productivity mandate kind of capricorn ideas can ruin the experience of working with others and so this is a chart of somebody who has perhaps been very committed to certain goals and it hasn't worked out or the person's been felt overpowered by it or felt powerless to change course all that said Pluto's retrograde and that means and you know this is not uncommon and this is a this is a big a big issue that I, I really love to to teach about when it comes up because retrograde planets um, they need to work a little differently. Talking about Pluto retrograde, it means that in a bunch of lives, what power is needs to be rethought. And this is over forty percent of the population at any given time with Pluto retrograde. Uh, you know, on average, because it's retrograde five months out of every year. So uh, that's an important. Thing to think about. It's retrograde five months out of every year. Almost half the year, it's retrograde. So there are people running around everywhere who need to rethink Pluto. <laughs> so uh, Pluto retrograde, Capricorn of the 11th, says that the goals that are set and committed to and worked for over the long term, these are this Capricorn idea, long-term work, and commitment, um, and taking charge of something and owning it personally, that those goals probably as often as not aren't the person's goals. They aren't authentic or they don't get the person where he or she wants to go. And this is the kind of signature where somebody jumps on a bandwagon passionately and becomes you know, middle management somehow or in charge of something and 10 years later has changed such that he or she doesn't know how to extricate the self from this social movement, this freight train of this thing happening. So that that's an interesting scenario, you know, an interesting scenario there. So that's the kind of basic idea of this Pluto needs to do goals, needs to be committed to them and be responsible, you know, needs to develop something over the long term. But also, it's critical for this person to make sure that the goals chosen are not, um, you know, are authentic and worthwhile. And so somebody like this needs to allow a trial and error process. That's going to be hard for Pluto and Capricorn people. Who feel motivated in general. Now, this started in early 2008, so the youngest ones are six and a half years old. So be careful, you know, be aware of that fact. Um, but the idea is like when they commit to something, they may not let themselves stop in some scenarios, and other times they may feel like they can't commit to something. But but um, that potential is in there to overdo something. So I mean, you're watching it in little kids now who, um, you know, really there's no need or call to be committed to anything. <laughs> right, uh, but but they'll have this tendency with Pluto and Capricorn to try to figure out how to be committed or how to explore that, how to, how to to do this long haul, you know, and take some take the long view is what I want to say. Um, so a couple aspects to speak about um, uh, briefly. Um, one is that Pluto square the nodes, and I'll actually talk about that in the next moment. Um, but but Pluto is also square Uranus, so you have this thing about tension, the revolution, the authority and structure versus the revolution. You know, originality versus uh, conformity, uh, freedom versus the status quo and longevity. Like the, the, these issues, Pluto square Uranus. And it means that the structures the person has been trying to do in a bunch of lives can get knocked off course by Uranian change, sudden change uh, that changes everything. 
So that's one of the things to keep in mind. Some people would look at this and say that that's a signature of trauma. It is, but it's more than that. It's not just trauma. It's also the need to be stable and have things change. It can be minor. You know, it can be minor and, and, and not, you know, not a big deal. Um, Pluto uh, is also quincunx, Jupiter. Quincunx is about 150 degrees. In this case, it's just about two degrees away from that. Uh, it's about 152, uh, if I did that right. Yes. And, um, <laughs> and uh, that's my computer processing processing sound. Um, doesn't really sound like a computer, but that's what it sounds like in my head. So Pluto Quincunx Anything says this journey to become empowered in this way, in this case, goals, structure, the future, groups, uh, is knocked off course sometimes really interestingly in a confusing way by Jupiter. Jupiter is something big and it's a, it's often about belief. And you have Leo in the sixth. Leo can be this kind of conformist energy, this kind of um, expect, expectation energy. It can be big ego energy. And in the sixth, ostensibly being of service or trying to be humble in some way. There's a big energy that will throw this person off course. What it, lo- it could be many, many, many different things. But what it will look like is this person's relationship with belief may be messed up. Why should I believe anything and the person won't be able to finish a sentence until older, uh, but when everything just gets yanked away from me or knocked over every time I start to believe in something. That's one of the things to keep keep aware of. A Pluto, Jupiter, Quincunx, actually Quincunx to anything to Pluto, is actually really, really hard because you can feel knocked off course from this most important mission uh, that you're trying to do. Um, so that's that's a kind of um, that's a kind of basic read on the Pluto situation. I want to start the uh, the South Node before we get to the break. South Node is uh, at the very end of the first house. I use Placidus, by the way. I find that works for me. Um, if you call me for a reading and you want a Coke or porphyry or whatever, I'll use it. I don't, I'm not married to it, but when I draw a chart up, Placidus speaks to me. Um, and so at the very end of the first house in Aries, so the South Node describes conditioning environments in many many lives. And so what is a soul, what kind of conditioning environments, as in family incubators and communities and early life experiences, does this soul have this person be born into to be trained how to be a person? Now, the South London Aries in the first is leadership, individuality, uh, warrior energy. Um, it's about independence and going, at, going on one's own. It's about being um, very ambitious perhaps kind of a rescue or soldier kind of archetype. Um, but this is, uh, you know, one of the things that comes with it is not being able to sit still and not being, you know, having no patience. But it can also come with being um, really on edge and anxious. And that's doubled up because Uranus is conjunct the south node. In a bunch of lives, including this one, um, Uranian stuff at home and in the community changes things. And Uranus saturates this karmic journey. This person in a bunch of lives will be born in all these different scenarios, and Uranus, Retro, and Aries will be present in some way energetically in these scenarios. So people with Uranus on the south node, they tend to be good at change, but they might never relax. They might feel nervous, probably very intuitive if they were not generating fear of what may happen next. And again, this kind of idea of Uranus being trauma Sudden change and chronic stress both prove traumatic. And retrograde Uranus can say, like it's retrograde, it might not be working normally. It might actually be lives of boredom 
that eat away at someone's resolve to enjoy life as opposed to like constant fireworks. It's retrograde Uranus that's on the south node. That's very important. Um, so also with uh, – and also Eris, dwarf planet Eris uh, is at 23 Aries in the second house. And this is about chaos and strife and competition. And so this doubles up this idea. This doubles up this idea. How do I deal with change? How do I, do I need it to protect myself? This is a kind of an eris thing because we, when this gets uh, triggered, we may lash out at others who hurt us. Our vulnerabilities are exposed. And so this is a karmic journey of having vulnerabilities exposed suddenly or trying to hide those vulnerabilities and, you know, experiencing instead chronic stress. But, but kind of this Uranian eris journey is kind of really intense in an Aries first house south node. So we're going to pick this up after the second break. This is Tom Jacobs on the soul's journey and I'll be right back. wondered what your soul is? How about how to create a meaningful life to make the most of your time on earth? In the important new channeled book, Conscious Living, Conscious Dying, Ascended Master Jehudi, aka Thoth and Saint Germain, explains soul, life and death to support you in living a meaningful life now. It opens with a description of soul and how it informs and experiences your human life. Creating a meaningful life and an in-depth exploration of death follow, making this a must-have for all humans. Conscious Living, Conscious Dying provides a roadmap for making peace with the reality of life and the fact of death to free you to make the most of your time on Earth. Get your copy of Conscious Living, Conscious Dying now on Amazon, Kindle, or at tdjacobs.com. When you've thought positive thoughts, tried to forgive yourself and others for everything, and read piles of self-help books and still feel stuck, call evolutionary astrologer and channel Tom Jacobs. Consultations with Tom reveal the core of what hurts you and holds you back. Tom changes clients' lives with a personalized blend of evolutionary astrology, messages from spirit guides, Channeling and energy work with Ascended Master Jehudi and Archangel Metatron, chakra cleaning and rebalancing, past life integration, and teaching you to transform what you are manifesting. Tom will provide whatever you need to move through knots, blocks, or bruises. To book a life-changing session with Tom Jacobs, call 213-925-6019 or visit tdjacobs.com Welcome back to The Soul's Journey. This is Tom Jacobs, an evolutionary astrologer and channel in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, tonight, it's If You Were Born Today, and I'm going to give you the birth data of the chart I'm analyzing in case uh, you're just joining me. Uh, today, August 27, 2014, 7 p.m., 
Tucson, Arizona. And the idea is to do a karmic profile of somebody, a, a theoretical person who may have been born as of this moment, 43 minutes ago. So let's talk about the south node. I want to talk about two aspects to the, to the node, the south node. Um, um, I call them unresolved issues. I find it very misleading to call them skipped steps. That's the idea of you have an experience. And what I learned from the dead people in the Ascended Mastery channel is that you know certain things about this, but you keep making boneheaded choices based on assumptions and beliefs that don't serve you. So I call them unresolved issues where there's a question. What's the right way to do? In this case, Pluto and, you know, in Capricorn in the 11th. What's the right way to do Juno and Cancer in the fifth house? So these unresolved questions. And I like to tell people that imagine there are seven core or key principles to know about these energies. You have experienced and are probably expert at three or four or five of them, but you need to round out your journey by making new choices relative to squares to the nodes. So that's how I look at squares to the nodes. Pluto in the 11th, how to become empowered in groups? How do I deal with the power of the group mind? How can I uh, assert my opinion and tell the truth within a group? How can I learn about leadership? Capricorn in the 11th. Anyway, so these kinds of questions. What goal is worth having? What should I commit my life to as far as goals? This is a question for this journey. And the other square is Juno, which is about commitment. People assume it's, uh, people often seem to assume it's about marriage, but marriage is one kind of commitment. It's a kind of thing or person you may be inclined to commit to. Um, and, uh, Cancer in the fifth house. The fifth house, self-expression, cancer, emotions, needs. You know, am I committed to doing what I need to do for myself? And, you know, do I matter as an individual? What about my heart? What about my experience as a unique person? How do I feel about my individual creative voice, including my own opinion? This is a chart of somebody who is in some kind of leadership position, swept away by the group mind, who has doubts about the value of having a unique individual voice. So those are the aspects of the nodes. The third step of the story, uh, first step being Pluto, second step being the south node. The third step is the south node ruler by sign. Now, the sign of the south node is Aries. So what rules Aries? It's Mars. So that takes me to Scorpio in the eighth house. Conjunct Saturn in Scorpio and Vesta in Scorpio. And then a couple of... uh, Excuse me, a square to Venus and Leo and a quincunx so that Uranus is in play. So, um, actually, that might be a little too wide. Let me just, no, no, yeah, it's a quincunx to Uranus uh, in the, in Aries in the first. So, south node is in Aries in the first. So, talking about this Aries first environment saturated with Uranus. So, change or revolution or things being unpredictable or trauma and Eris. This idea of like vulnerability in the second house about self-esteem as well as material resources. That's the family karma that the person is exploring with family. South node ruler is in Scorpio. Very different energy, right? Both, you know, uh, Scorpio co-ruled by Mars. Uh, said, you know, the ancient ruler of, of a Scorpio co-ruled by Pluto and Mars now. Um, so this person shows up as a Scorpio eighth house figure in, a, in an Aries first house context. So South Node is the context of, of the world around him or her and how the person will perceive it. South Node ruler, he or she shows up as a Scorpio 8th house person. That is intense, dramatic, secretive, uh, you know, curious about many things, perhaps into things that scare other people, you know, like into things that, you know, what really makes a human tick, um, interested in 
intimacy in a certain way, interested in issues about power and control in a certain way. Um, and this, and, and so this person is into depth. This person's coming from a, a, a first house, Aries place that's full of Uranus, sudden change. Aries first house has nothing to do with depth. And so this South Node ruler needs depth. This person as an individual would be born into family systems where depth is not always possible, but this person craves it and may look around and say, why are people so shallow? So the conjunction to Saturn says this person shows up as a Saturn figure in Scorpio in the eighth house. So intense, edgy, probably full of judgments, taking things very seriously, having a long-term goal. And now we have that, two echoes of that with the Pluto in the 11th in Capricorn, the idea of committing to a long-term goal. Uh, this person will also have that energy with the south node ruler conjunctive, uh, Saturn. And also Vesta, this is about dedication and devotion. And it's a, I will never do it halfway. And so, you know, uh, this, this taking something very, very seriously. So this person will take intimacy, shared resources, the, the, the you know, that information or knowledge is power. All these things extremely seriously um, in a world where other people may not always do so. Now, um, the square, I'm just going to cover the square to Venus and the six squares to the South Node ruler say, you know, this is about this person's experience with other people. Venus is other people, very literally. Any square to the South Node ruler could be people or situations. But when it comes down to it, Venus squaring the South Node ruler tends to be people. You know, Venus in relationships. And then Leo in the sixth um, is not about absolute depth. It's about simplicity and play and productivity and progress. It is about creative expression, but it needs to serve a purpose. So this person will have a deep sense of curiosity about life's mysteries. This is this eighth house stellium, south node ruler in Scorpio with this stellium, part of the stellium. And the person may not be understood by people close to him or her. That depth may just seem like moroseness, depressiveness, you know, weird, um, you know, potentially serial killery kind of things like, like, like kind of weird darkness. Person, you know, people don't understand, and the person will draw Venus and Leo people. You know, let's play, and it's like I can't play. I'm morose. Why are you so morose? Because life is. Did you notice what life is like? And the person's like, let's just go out and do something relaxing. So there's that tension of you don't understand me. You can't take what I hold seriously serious. So that's a setup in a bunch of different lives that will happen with this setup. Um, I do want to move on to the north node and kind of skip some of these other aspects. But um, then the north node is the thing that gets left out in a bunch of lives. It's the final frontier in every life. Many people learn about it and explore it and find it and embrace it, but it can involve some growing pains that are really challenging because think about it. You're being conditioned in many lives by environments and people, including family and places where you grow up, that have something to do with the south node, and the north node is always 180 degrees away. It's opposite. What ends up happening is you know who you are and where you come from. Even if you don't like it, it's familiar. Like even if it sucks, it's familiar. The other thing is those people. I would never want to be like those people. So Aries in the first house, south node, lots of action, always something drama, putting out fires, you know, catching kittens when they fall out of trees, catching mugs before they hit the ground. Aries in the first house is that. Paramedic energy, firefight, you know, soldier rescue defense energy. 
uh, even athletics, like channeling all the energy through physical activity too. Um, but the North Node in Libra in the seventh is for learning how to listen to others, relax, and slow down enough to be able to build something with other people. So the main challenge for this person who was born 51 minutes ago, you know, as he or she ages, is to work with others, to slow down enough to hear and value and be changed by experiencing the opinion of the opinions of others. So that person will say, you know, the, the kind of I don't want to be like those people who would ever want to do that. That's the committee approach. Well, I just want to do this thing. Why would I need to, to talk about it with you? Like, why would I need to tell everybody what I'm going to do? Why would I need to have this committee opinion thing? It is so slow. Like, I instinctively know what I need to do. Why should I waste my time waiting around for you to think about if it's good for me? So you can imagine, like, you know, childhood and adolescent adventures because of this, because like, a, hey, can I go do this to the parents? And the parents say, well, hey, wait a minute. Who is that? Hey, I don't know if I know their parents. And the kid's like out the door. <laughs> you know, like, I don't have time for this. Or like sitting there squirming, trying to like be respectful and like bored to tears. From the parents' perspective, this is necessary and it took, it took uh, two and a half minutes. From the kid's perspective, it is absurd, ridiculous, unnecessary, and it took five years. <laughs> so, so that's the lever in the seventh. I need to learn how to listen to other people. I need to take your opinions seriously. I need to tell you what I'm thinking and feeling. I need to communicate effectively. But I also need to hold the door open to let you communicate with me. It's a big deal with the Libra seventh house north node. Um, the other thing is creating fairness and harmony with people. Imagine – you know, scenarios in the first house where you have to be independent and do what you need to do, sometimes you have to just deal with, uh, you know, the school of hard knocks, for example, thinking about kind of a, you know, kind of a hard-edged, like, military kind of energy of, like, well, I've been through the ringer, that's that's the school I went to. Um, and so the Libra thing, um, I need to ask for help, and I need to learn how to develop fairness with others. Like, I need to learn how from scratch to co-create something with other people. It's about bridge building and diplomacy. And they'll have certain prejudices, the idea of like, I'd never want to be like those people, that if you were to do that, you're setting yourself up like bridge building and diplomacy, negotiation and compromise. You're setting yourself up to lose because if you let somebody else's committee process take all your time, then you fail. You know, that's the assumption of the first house south node in Aries. So this person's challenge is to learn how to listen and to learn how to create space with others for something meaningful to unfold. Now, all that said, you know, all that said, look at, then I look at personality issues, just kind of give you an insight into how I do this and my thought process. Then I'm going to look at a Virgo sun at the end of the sixth. And then I'm going to look at a moon in Libra in the seventh. Like to look at this moon, for example, like the sun near the descendant. Yes, cooperation is needed. You know, that, that's a very obvious. Also moon in the seventh and Mercury. In the seventh. So there are certain elements of personality associated with this hard part of the chart, this thing that hasn't been explored. So both the lights as well as Mercury, the sun and moon, also called lights or luminaries, each of them, it, these three bodies, is associated with the house where the south node is. That's hard because they've, the person's never been trained to do that or had listening skills and communication skills validated. So if you're sitting with a, a client like this, you help the person understand that you need to work with others and the, have the person understand that controlling others isn't the answer. You know, 
between Pluto and Capricorn square the nodes, South node in the first, and the stellium in the eighth, including South node ruler, with Saturn in there, control can seem to be, you know, the way to get things done. So this can be, you know, somebody who needs to develop patience and really respect what's happening with others and find out that he or she is wrong, that people actually, other people actually do want to hear about and from this person. That's a major part of this life warning. So that's that's the kind of overview of the analysis. And as I said, I will look at Ascendant. I will look at that Chiron in the 1st and Neptune right above the horizon in the 12th. That's a big deal. I'll look at all the whole chart after I do that, that kind of structural analysis because no matter what the person as an adult would come to me and say this is what's wrong, no matter what it is, it's covered in those four steps every single time without fail because that uh, scaffolding, I like to call it, on which you then – you know, understand life stories. That describes what's happening deep in the currents and imprints and dents and blocks and, uh, you know, graffiti and scratches and vandalism on the emotional body. That's what's happening under the surface of conscious personality. So all life issues stem from this kind of core perspective. So that, anyway, because uh, I don't want you to hear this and think that I don't look at the sun and moon or rising or anything. I just don't start there. I just don't start there. Uh, and I like to teach my students, uh, you know, how to understand this, how to understand this thing too and look at it in a different way because you will never be surprised by what anybody tells you if you master this four step process. And you'll also never be surprised at a chart. You'll never open it up and say, Oh my God, what does Pluto square the nodes mean? Or, Oh my God, there are 16 squares. What does it mean? There's no trines. Oh, life is so hard. Is that what it means? Like you'll never have that problem. So I do tutoring for people. Keep in mind that, um, uh, if you want to learn how to do this with me and do practice and kind of do this, I, I do tutoring with people. I love teaching astrology that way. Um, so that's, we're coming up on the end of the show. I'm glad that you have joined me. If you get something useful out of the show, uh, donate to support it through tdjacobs.com. The link is from the homepage. Uh, and also you can subscribe in iTunes to the podcast as well as Player FM and in Stitcher. And, um, yeah, this uh, daily energy work continues for four more days, and then it picks up again in October when the MP3s will be available too. This is really uh, an important opportunity to shift things and to get to the bottom of things and uh, release stuff and connect with the, your guides and the beings and make peace with your body and just all kinds of things, increase intuition. So thank you for joining me. I'm Tom Jacobs. Oh, and the last announcement is, reminder, I'm in Portland, Oregon, September 6th through the 22nd. I'll be doing two live shows from Portland too, so stay tuned for that. Thanks again. Uh, be well and be in touch. You've been listening to The Soul's Journey with Tom Jacobs. A fresh look at astrology and soul inspired by channeled wisdom. For more information, tune in every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Pacific. Connect with Tom directly via www.tdjacobs.com. That's tdjacobs.com.